When it comes to education, what's more important, knowledge or the teacher? Is there a better way to teach our kids? Is it time to innovate the old school with new school tech? What if your teacher was AI? Today on What If Discussed. Welcome to What If Discussed. I'm Richard Garner. And I'm Peter Smeechin. And Richard, mm -hmm. did you have a favorite teacher growing up? Uh, I did like Aristotle. <laughs> Are you that the old? Cave drawings and... No, I mean, like most people, uh, you know, I have a few, probably a handful. Uh, I wouldn't say shape my life, not necessarily those stories of those like inspirational teachers from the movies necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the Robin Williams, uh, you know, Captain My Captain. Yeah. That I, I always wished I did. I wouldn't say I had that, but definitely I can remember some teachers that, that had an impact on me. And probably if you ask them, they might also say that I had an impact on them, but not necessarily in a positive way. That's a story for another one. Right, of course. Yeah. What about you? Well, I did. I had a few. Uh, Mr. Slater obviously stands out. Mr. Montgomery uh, from my high school. But for the most part, I got along with all of my teachers. I liked all my teachers. The ones I liked the best were the ones you were able to talk to on a one-on-one -on -one basis, sort of like sitting, or sitting around after class talking about the world or talking about life. I mean, learning was the one thing. But, uh, but for me, like to, a real connection came through. Um, Chit-chat, conversation. Human relationship. Yeah. What do, what do you think if we visit a classroom in 100 years, what are they going to say? Who's their favorite teacher? TeachBot 3000? TeachBot 3000. What an impact <laughs> it had on me. Uh, I don't know. I mean, certainly that's the, the, you know, the, the core of the discussion that we're going to have today, and it's already been going on. Education's already been on the sort of table for innovation for a long time. And tech has already started, you know, not started, probably for, you know, 10 plus years, kids are using, you know, laptops at school, the internet's more part of education. But when you start to get to that next level, when you're talking not just about AI in classrooms, and some people, that's as far as they want to go. Some people are talking about AI literally replacing teachers at some point, which is, of course, always going to be a controversial topic. I don't think... I can imagine that TeachBot 3000 type thing, unless we're at a Westworld level of AI, right? Which is yeah. super sci-fi. And that's maybe a concern of another kind, right? I mean, I don't necessarily see us being there right now, but it's like everything else, it's being fast-tracked as a discussion topic, but I don't know if it's necessarily um, there yet, but right now AI and education is a hot topic. Yeah, it certainly would have been handy during uh, the pandemic for uh, for learning. I think a lot of a uh, lot of us found that the schools were caught flat-footed, and you know, not of, for any fault of their own, but uh, you know, nobody was expecting this. But had we had AI learning, we could have just uh, you know had full day full day school. But as it stood, you know, most schools that I know were you know an hour a day at most. Uh, unless you were in the private school system where they were all getting paid to be there mm -hmm. and and paid big bucks, then they were teaching you all day long. But in the public school system, I found it uh, was a little bit lacking. I don't know. Maybe AI is something that could have helped help that out. And you don't have to pay AI. <gasps> well, or you might. That's another something that uh, there is a social discussion is should AI be paid a wage? But that's a story 
for another what if. Uh, someone who knows a little bit more about us than about AI and its potential impact on education is our next guest. Professor Joanna Bryson studied behavioral science at the University of Chicago and later completed an MSc in artificial intelligence before an MPhil in psychology at the University of Edinburgh. She got her PhD from MIT and her postdoctoral fellowship at Harvard University. So I think we're dealing with a, a smart cookie here. She once worked for Lego, that's more my speed, as an AI consultant researching child-oriented programming techniques. In 2020, she became Professor of Ethics and Technology at Hurdy School of Governance in Berlin. Professor Bryson has spoken at the World Economic Forum and regularly appears in the media talking about human-robot relationships and the ethics of AI. Professor Bryson, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. So your education and your professional background, uh, you know, there's, it seems like there's a pretty obvious balance between the study of human behavior, artificial intelligence, and ethics. I'm guessing that wasn't random, that that, that was by design. Why, for you, was striking that balance so important? All right, well, yeah, interesting. I would say that I wasn't even that interested in only human intelligence. I was interested in intelligence in general. So I just wanted to understand how things worked and intelligence was one of the cool things. Um, and so I was interested in animals, non-human animals, because uh, I felt like people had a lot of weird theories about themselves. And if we didn't even understand sort of how the hardware works, how it works before you get language and culture and all that, then you don't know where you are. So I used artificial intelligence just because I was good at it. I was a good programmer and I realized it gave me sort of a competitive advantage. So I, I, I thought if I went uh, with artificial intelligence, I might get into a good graduate school and I was right. So yeah. that worked, uh, worked out for me. But the ethics thing was, uh, was, well, I mean, it was partly my upbringing. I was brought up, uh, my, my mother actually had a master's degree in Christian education. Um, but so we went to a very liberal uh, Christian church and so I got a lot more uh, sort of moral education than, than in America we're allowed to have in the, in the public schools. Um, and when I was an undergraduate, I was confronted by understanding, again, this geeky understanding of how circuits worked. So the first time uh, someone explained, it was, I can, I still remember, it was about how uh, the, it works, how your eyes track, so saccading of your vision. And, and it was the circuit of neurons and I could see exactly how it worked. And I thought, but where is, that is a human behavior. Where is our, where is our consciousness in it? Where is our, um, where is our ethical obligation? So I, you know, from, I was very uh, fascinated by that aspect as well. And I kept up on it, even though I, I didn't keep up on my religion, but I did keep up on um, just being aware of, of social impacts. So my first AI uh, ethics paper was actually because I noticed people thought that if your robot is shaped like a person, you owed it a moral obligation. And mm -hmm. they were proud of that. The robot didn't even have to work, but they were proud. It was like uh, they, they said, we've learned from feminism, we've learned from civil rights that, you know, you have to be uh, generous about what a person is. And I'm like, you know, if you learned, if what you learned from feminism is that a pile of motors is as much like a white male as a woman is like a white male, then I think feminism has some more work to do uh, and similar for, uh, for a civil rights movement. 
You're currently a professor, but as we heard in your bio, obviously you're a very accomplished student as well. You've spent a lot of time in school. When assessing the pros and cons of uh, AI as a teacher, what hat do you wear? The student hat or the professor hat? So when I took artificial intelligence, both at Edinburgh, where I first did my master's degree, and at MIT, not so much when I took it as when I tutored it for the undergraduates, um, I noticed that lots of my classmates were coming in really excited at the beginning of the class. And, uh, and they, they really thought, oh boy, oh boy, AI, this is the coolest part of our degree, right? And then they walked out of the class, and that's not AI. And I was like blown away by what I was learning in these same classes. And I think, and I, like, what is the difference? And I thought the difference was that I had those courses from Chicago for my liberal arts degree on, um, on the biological basis of behavior. So I saw the commonality between what we were learning about AI and, and how human intelligence really works. And, the, and most people, because they had no idea, at least most computer scientists had no idea how the brain worked or, or how, you know, they didn't even understand basic psychology sometimes. Um, they didn't see that there was any relevance to their lives or, or to understanding themselves. So that's why I've tried to write courses where students can both learn how to program uh, so they can get those intuitions about what's hard and what's easy but also I try to uh, bring in the, the, the bioscience that, that like, well, here's how the brain is, um, and so that they can see both those pieces. It's a good, it's sort of an interesting segue too to the whole idea of, you know, dualism, right? We get into this binary type of thinking where it's either or, and in your case, obviously you're, you're, you're a fan of, of making sure that people are sort of learning these things in parallel. In the same way that people talk about this issue, right? It becomes, you know, are teachers out and it's AI is only? Are, are teachers being replaced? And of course, there's different ways of looking at this, perhaps as some AI coming in and complementing teachers, helping them actually free up more time to teach. How do you see that sort of relationship working? I'm really interested in this in general for the future of work, but I often use teaching as the example. So a lot of people think uh, artificial intelligence takes jobs. So first of all, it's not the AI that takes jobs. It, art, artificial intelligence is always an artifact. So somebody has built it. So it might be that a company decides to replace part of its business process with AI instead of humans. But there are people that are behind that decision. So it's not the technology itself doing it, first of all. But next, let's say I, as a programmer, go away and write something that makes teachers twice as efficient. There's absolutely zero in that statement that says, do we have twice as good a classes or half as many teachers? That decision is a political decision. And so that's why I'm in a governance school. I think there's an awful lot of things going on right now where people are um, creating um, uh, you know, smoke and mirrors. They're trying to uh, evade regulation. They don't see that regulation is something that helps them innovate, that, you know, that, that, that massive regulation investment has come into technology so that we could have the companies we have. Um, yet, anyway, while they're trying to do that, they, they try to hide behind these weird masks about what AI really is. But, but those decisions, it's not inevitable from the technology. It's a human decision about how you're going to augment, whether you're going to augment the same number of people or you're going to augment fewer people once you build this intelligence. What you really do when you develop in you know, any kind of technology, actually, but especially intelligent technology, is that you're making the humans more valuable because they're all more powerful. 
So yes. it makes more sense to employ them and you should actually be paying them higher wages. Okay, Professor Bryson, come with me now into our what if time machine and we're gonna transport ourselves into the future, into the future classroom and say just 30 years, the year 2050, what does the classroom look like and who or what is teaching? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I think you're still gonna find, uh, if, if you have classrooms, I just mentioned that you're gonna have a whole, like an increasing number of students sort of staying home and self-isolating. Um, but but if you where you have classrooms, I think you will definitely have teachers. I hope that you actually have multiple teachers uh, for classroom. And then I think I hope that you can have maybe age diversity, all kinds of diversity in the students, so that they can be moving between the spaces as is appropriate uh, to to the level of education they need. So I'd like to see technology making it easier to do some of the administrative perspectives of like not only customizing you know within a particular topic but really within the entire flow um, so I think uh, and of course it, it, again it depends a lot on the decisions we're making right now as we uh, as we experience the opportunities and the challenges of things like pandemics and other political challenges that are happening right now so if we get to a point where uh, where we have a more egalitarian system then uh, we're going to see one set of things across a range of classrooms. But if we go to in another direction where some students are going to have like the most amazing, you know, customized little environments and they're going to be building their own robots and the other kids are going to have, you know, paper and pencil and a pile of mud or something, you know, that, that is one of the things I worry about a lot. So, um, but I guess I, what I said at the beginning was my more, my more optimistic uh, uh, vision. My, my vision is that you have, um, spaces that, that people can move through and that the technology can allow you to um, to move through them and to find the right education for the right thing, but to still get to know a cohort of people and to still have more human interaction. I, I hope that in 30 years we'll have a, a higher uh, teacher to student ratio. So more teachers per student, I don't know what I just said. <laughs> that, 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 uh, so be, and, and that because the teachers are going to be able to do so much more with the technology, it's going to be so much more clearly adding the value. Another thing I'd like to see, honestly, is that the students are younger. I, I would like to see that we allow uh, more diversity of life and career paths. So maybe if it's really a school, it's going to end a little earlier. And then the students can, can actually, I mean, you know, look at, look at the uh, amazing things teenagers are capable of. So that, that, that there's a more of a flow. I guess I, the students are younger if it's just a classroom, but that there's, there's more opportunities for lifetime experience of going out, working maybe when you're younger, then coming back to school. We already see this more in Europe than you do in America. Of not, of, you don't have to like get all the teaching over and then get all the working over or whatever. There's more of a, a flow. But I would hope, in fact, I, a lot of people say it's going to be a necessity that we'll have more opportunities so that um, over some age, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not keeping up on this, but over the age of maybe 13 or 14, um, that you would already start getting into this flow of maybe having a little career, having a side uh, thing that you're doing, run, running a small business or something, or, or working somewhere, um, and then coming back and, 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 and making your education more of a part of the flow of your entire uh, life and career. Well, a lot to think about and, and a yeah. lot to process there, no pun intended, <laughs> but uh, we really appreciate you joining us and taking the time, uh, Professor Bryson. Where can people find your work and what do you kind of have upcoming that people might be interested in, in following? 
if you want to follow me, follow me on Twitter, J2 Bryson, um, and that tends to link to everything else. Actually, we're just about to launch a new beta uh, version of my webpage, and I'm trying to write a book. That's my exciting summer project. So yeah, everything ha everything happens, but you can Google me easily. Well, we'll yeah. we'll keep an eye out for that and uh, get AI to write your book. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now that would take all the fun out. Now there's a business idea <laughs> right. for you and I. Yes. Um, but a story for another one. Yes. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Professor Bryson, for joining us and taking the time and and really helping the What If audience really understand what's a pretty complex issue. It is. Yeah. Thank you. Well, quite the education on AI and education with Professor Bryson. But as she mm -hmm. talked about. Learning doesn't necessarily have to be something that is just part of your early life, that actually lifelong learning is now becoming the bigger trend and that we should all be learning going forward uh, forever, really. Well, and, and uh, you seem like a guy who never wants to stop learning. Well, that, I mean, we're lucky enough that we learn every time we're on a show like this, but we don't always have access to the top thought leaders, except Maybe we do. Ah, well, you could become more informed, creative, and inspired, all with the Great Courses Plus. Richard, we're really big on the streaming service, are we? Well, I mean, it's easy to talk about because it's very similar to what if discussed, right? You get access to top thought leaders. You get to yeah. essentially yeah. learn on your own time and be able to sort of pick subjects that you want to sort of immerse yourself in. And obviously, we're big proponents of curiosity, continuing to learn and fascination. And obviously, when you have sort of a, an archive like Great Courses Plus have, you can pretty much pick and choose. Yeah, so one of the ones that I'm watching right now is called The Fundamentals of Photography. I highly recommend it. Uh, do you take pictures, Richard? I do. Yeah. Not good. Well, everyone takes pictures. Not everybody takes good pictures. Most people are just shooting in auto mode. Yes. Um, I'm speaking specifically more of DSLRs, but uh, also on your camera phone as well, or your phone camera. Um, so you can take good pictures on auto, but if you want to take really good pictures, you got to get out of the auto mode, go into manual and start uh, flicking, flicking around with stuff. And then you can actually create depths of field with your aperture and sort of stuff like that. This is what I'm learning on Great Courses Plus. Um, the course that I'm wa uh, watching is being taught by uh, Joel Sartori, he's an acclaimed photographer for National Geographic magazine. Wow. He makes it so easy for me just to remember what to do with my camera settings, but more importantly, it's, it's remembering why I'm doing that. You know, The Great Courses Plus has thousands of lectures on almost any topic imaginable, from the history of Egypt to the study of DNA, and new courses are being added all the time. There's something for everyone. Plus, every course, like Joel Sartori, is presented by subject matter experts from top universities and institutions. It's in-depth, reliable, fact-based information, and you can watch or listen from your phone or your TV with the Great Courses Plus app at any time from anywhere in the world. Make the most of your time. Keep learning with the Great Courses Plus. Right now, they're offering fans of our show an amazing deal, an entire month of access for free. This limited time offer won't last, so sign up today to get started. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash what if. Don't wait. TheGreatCoursesPlus.com slash what if. What is it, Richard? TheGreatCoursesPlus.com slash what if. Bingo. See, I'm learning. You got it. But I mean, it, it is an interesting segue. It's easier to talk about stuff like Great Courses Plus on a show like this because that's kind of what the model is, right? We, we're, you know, we're not subject matter experts, although some yeah. of you might think so. No, no. But you would really be not. you would be wrong. No. We are really we're the proxy for the listener and and the viewer at home who have a, a level of fascination and curiosity, but we want to be able to have access 
to the top people in the world. Well, we, we got access today to one of the top people in the world wow. in this field. Mm -hmm. Professor Joanna Bryson is like, again, like we said in her bio off the top, like Uber she's the- educated. She's the, like, I mean, you're naming Ivy League schools and MIT and all this stuff, but she's also the one who's, who's going to the World Economic Forum in Davos when people want to have a panel discussion about the future of AI. So we're lucky enough to have her today. This is the place to come for- uh, Well, I mean, and, and great courses for us. Yeah. But, <laughs> Uh, in that same vein, what did you learn today? I learned right off the top, she was talking about how we learn better from AI when it's shaped like a human being, yes. which I had never thought of, but of course, you just, you recognize that shape as being something that you can relate to and they're trying to tell you something, of course you're gonna listen. It's much better than, you know, one of these skulls beside you trying to, trying to tell me. I'm not going to listen to that saber-toothed tiger there. Yes, or the old, like, the models in the movies, like, Short Circuit or whatever. Like, <laughs> Dr. What Johnny Five, yes. shot in Toronto. You know, what the what the old robot looked like and, you, you know, Peter, sit down, put down, that, whatever. Like, that type right. of stuff. That's kind of how we used to think we are talking about, but not, not anytime soon, about that sort of that more AI that looks, for lack of a better word, like a human, we're not there yet. No. But what we did understand, I think, from her... So we could be, though, soon. Alicia Vikander and... Uh, yes, one of, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of hers. Yes. And in the role. Yes. But in this particular case, like, I think it's, again, it's one of those things where we get into binary conversations or dualistic conversations. It's either or. Are we are humans or no humans? No, I think what she's talking about is that there's plenty of things that we already know logistically scheduling admin a lot of things that aren't really part of teaching way down most of the bandwidth of mm -hmm. teachers that's so why they they constantly are arguing for more prep time well we could eliminate all the all the hassle stuff and give them the prep time and that to me is that's the best solution and i don't think we have to worry about you know sort of again teach bot 3000 for decades to come, I just don't think the technology is there, and I, I think the world would be in a, a, a much better uh, or a much different place by then. But for now, I would be curious if you ask most teachers if you could eliminate all that prep time stuff, grading papers, uh, admin, and all those things, and you could just focus on what you love, the passion you have to connect with the kids, be able to have more one-on-one -on -one time. Wouldn't wouldn't most teachers go for that? Don't you think? It'd be a huge weight lifted off their shoulders. I think that's why most teachers got into the business. Most teachers, some yeah. of them got into it for the for the summers off, but yeah. most teachers probably got into this business because they have a passion to teach or passion to tell stories to children, help them learn. Um, so yeah, that would be that would be incredible. Well, I'm a big fan of not the either or, but and or with. And in this particular case, I think the AI part of it can complement education. A, a model I think we'd all agree is needed innovation for a long time is currently under innovation. And I don't think we have to jump to this sort of the worst case scenario at this point. I think there's a lot of time to worry about that later. Yeah. Welcome back. And yes, clearly a complex discussion where you're weighing the pros and cons of optimizing education against the possible replacement of people with machines. Uh, never easy, tons of layers for this. And to peel this onion further, we're now joined by our next guest, Yuta Trevoranis. That's right, Richard. Yuta Trevoranis is a full professor at the Ontario College of Art and Design University, OCAD-U, in Toronto, Canada. She's the director and founder of the Inclusive Research Design Centre and the Inclusive Design Institute. Trevoranis is a recognized global thought leader in the field of inclusive design and has made appearances at the White House and the United Nations. 
An outspoken opponent of the scientific method and statistical reasoning, she has led many international multi-partner research networks that have created broadly implemented technical innovations supporting inclusion. In 2013, the Governor General of Canada awarded Trevor Anus the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal. Hi, Yuta. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to join you. Uh, so we've been talking about AI as teaching, as part of education, a complex issue, obviously, with many layers. Uh, most people believe there are pros and cons. Do you fall into that category? Yeah, I, I do. Um, however, I think at the moment there's more risks than benefits. And in large part because we don't have the regulatory guardrails in place to shield us from the risks and misuses. And AI is not designed to address the problems we hope it will address. We have so many aspirations. We think it's, it's going to do so many things, but it actually isn't capable of doing the things that we need it the most for. Um, one of the primary risks of AI in education is what Shoshana Zuboff calls surveillance capitalism. Um, if you think about it, we've already been using technology as a babysitter for education. Many children have been learning uh, to read and write through great programs like Sesame Street. Mm. Some would argue that wouldn't it be even better if the system got to know the child and personalize the lessons to the needs of the child using AI. And that's one of the promises we hear about education and AI. But the first question I would ask is, who owns the AI? Who trains the AI using what data? What data will be captured? And what use will be made of the captured data? Um, in other realms, we see a lot of AI already. Already, AI is used to subtly nudge and shape our behavior, capture our private thoughts, wishes, and intentions whether it's through recommender systems on Amazon or um, Facebook, et cetera. China uses AI in the social credit system to monitor and control behavior of its citizens. And the big tech companies use AI-powered surveillance to increase profit. And they have gathered more intelligence um, about us than any government and are willing to barter that intelligence for profit. So hence why I wanna ask who has trained the AI, who owns it, who controls it? Mm -hmm. And how does it play out in uh, AI and education? Um, for example, there's a really popular and well-intentioned language tutor that uses AI to cust customize the lessons and um, I actually use it myself. And in the free mode, uh, that is, it's funded through advertising. So if a child can't afford the premium version of the language tutor, they're exposed to advertising before they can continue learning. And the shaping and nudging done by the automated tutors doesn't leave much room for creativity, critical thinking, humor, serendipity, all those human qualities. If you'd make too many mistakes in the language tutor I was talking about, you can't keep learning. You get a time out because you've used up all your hearts or your gems or whatever the reward system is. And anything that doesn't conform to the tutor's notion of the right answer is a mistake. So if I'm learning Spanish, but I'm in a community that has a alternative version of Spanish, 
then there's no opportunity to negotiate and say, hey, wait a sec, this is right where I come from or where I intend to learn this. So AI in education, I think, is the ultimate frontier for both surveillance capitalism and authoritarian governments to use the surveillance if we don't guard against it. And it will also shape all the students to a profile of what we imagine to be the optimal student, which I think, given that I'm in an area of inclusion and diversity, is uh, not a good thing, not a good thing for students, and not a good thing for society as a whole. So just, just on that, with some, some of the inherent biases that you've found with AI, uh, what are the ones that concern you most in the classroom? So um, AI is biased in favor of the majority. Uh, in the majority being the, the majority in the data set the machine learning model is trained on. AI feeds on big data. It needs to, in order to learn something, it has to be exposed to a large set of data and um, to uh, learn from it again and again. So by virtue of being biased towards that majority, it is biased against anyone that is far from the average within that data set or anyone not represented in the data set or op optimized in the algorithm. Um, and that, if you think about it, who, who is their data about and who is their data not about? First of all, there's not data about people that are um, digitally excluded, that there is no digital trace or record of your needs, wants, et cetera, if you don't um, have access to the digital systems. Um, but also, um, there, if, you, if we take academic research sets or data sets that are produced by other sources, often the individuals that are very diverse, that have complex lives, are excluded from those data sets. And then lastly, um, if you are very unique, if you're unlike anyone else or unlike most people, then you are never going to be part of that majority set. So the further you are from the average in the data set, the more of a misfit the tutoring system will be for you, the harder it will be to learn. Ask anyone that's tried to use Siri or Alexa with a very strong accent. Mm. We're amplifying and automating the inequities and exclusions of the past. The students that struggle the most have the greatest difficulty with the AI tutors. They're farthest from the norm and most unlike other students. There is no big data set about their needs to train the system. And so what we're doing is we're just making it harder for the students that are already struggling. Uh, well, what are, like you've mentioned some of the things, but these, let's call them blind spots, if you will. What are some of the potential long-term effects, not just in the sort of, in the, in the short term in education, but what type of society perhaps does that end up potentially shaping if we're not vigilant about this now? So um, one of my big concerns is that AI can be used to replace what it can teach. The future of work will be the things AI can't learn and can't teach. So in effect, the way that we're hoping to use AI and the way that AI is used is setting up our students to be out of work. Um, and we're, it's also, there, I, I'm even more concerned than that because I think there is a complex 
number of things that will happen with work. But um, my biggest concern is we're creating replaceable conformant learners. And this isn't the fault of AI or the producers of AI. It is how we're applying it. AI is simply making our favored current teaching practices more efficient and effective. We rank students at the moment on the same scale. We standardize the curriculum. We prioritize the formulaic subjects, such as the STEM subjects. And we teach them, we teach our students to compete and we punish collaboration by often calling it cheating. We don't currently help students to differentiate their skills and knowledge, especially not in the, in the early years. And we don't teach them to understand their own learning. We're setting up the AI so students don't need to understand their own learning, in fact. AI becomes this omniscient guide that knows you better than you know yourself and decides what is best for your learning. This can lead to dependent students that don't question decisions or choices and in many cases are not even aware of the decisions that have been made and why. One of the arguments uh, in favor of AI is that it eliminates human biases. A lot of us have been in classrooms where you know, teachers liked one student more than the others, um, and then that gets reflected in their grades. AI could eliminate that. Is, is that a good thing? Is that enough? Um, the AI learns the human biases from the data and often amplifies and automates these biases. I think it's uh, the that the argument that you make that AI is objective, AI um, doesn't have feelings, it doesn't have favoritism, but that that's, we've built the favoritism into the AI system. Um, there are many missing perspectives in the training data that the AI consumes. So if you are missing from that training data, then you're not something that the AI will optimize or favor. Um, minority perspectives won't survive because the AI will shape out those minority perspectives. So I, I think, yes, the teacher's pet has been a phenomenon for quite a bit and it's caused unfairness and bias, et cetera. Um, but there is a lot more um, human serendipity within that. Um, there is room to argue and to negotiate. There, there are, um, there's much greater flexibility. The AI as it is currently trained is a machine and it will eliminate anything that isn't within the, um, the biased perspective that the AI has or it will shape it away. Um, so worse yet than the teacher's pet phenomenon that we've experienced is the teacher's pet will be the student that most matches the profile of the optimal student as arrived at using the data the AI has been fed. And this means a reduction of diversity, which will ultimately lead to a monoculture of conformant learners. And um, as I said earlier, I mean, what we need now is not a monoculture, we need diversity. We need a diversity of choices, a diversity of perspectives. Um, and we need to address the needs of the people that are at those margins, the, the individuals that are marginalized, the individuals that are, that are vulnerable. And what we're doing with the form of AI that, that is used um, 
most at the moment is to bias it towards the average, the majority, as opposed to attending to and the individuals that are at the edge. And we're actually making it even harder for those individuals that are struggling, that are currently marginalized. Well, I mean, it, it feels sometimes like we have these conversations about potentially, you know, the best ways to implement something after they're already sort of a fait accompli. And I, I, I'm not to be too pessimistic, but it feels like the momentum building right now behind just AI is, you know, this massive uh, replacement of so many things, but in, in education specifically, that it's already happening regardless of the conversation. Are you worried that this is already a done deal? Uh, <laughs> well, I'm hoping that this pa pandemic may have given us a chance to pause and reconsider the direction we've we've chosen at the moment in all sorts of ways but then also because ai is a simple is a tool that we use also in the way that we've implemented um, ai at the moment uh, will we be able to to fill the regulatory vacuum that provides the guardrails for the large technology empires i'm hoping so um, but also is this a time to rethink uh, what we want to achieve in education and rethink how we're treating students as a whole and what we're uh, shaping students to be? Uh, greater self-determination, greater critical thinking, um, greater collaboration. Uh, and what about the valorization or the way that we've uh, created this highly competitive system that makes certain students vulnerable and uh, causes students to disengage from education. We need lifelong learning. We don't need this uh, sort of staged stepping through a formulaic set of, of learning. Uh, there are problems that we need to solve where there isn't any teacher available. So, and where the, there are no experts at the moment because we've created these disciplinary silos with particular very, very constrained subjects of expertise. So can we rethink education as a much more collaborative, interdisciplinary, post-disciplinary thing? Um, and all of that will then have an influence on how we implement AI. I think the other thing that's interesting or that has come up in my research is the weaknesses in AI um, are the weaknesses that are related to that exclusionary biased perspective. Um, what we find is that AI um, has blind spots the same as we have blind spots and those blind spots cause huge mistakes. Like uh, there's a, a um, example that I frequently talk about in terms of automated vehicles where I discovered that the automated vehicle learning models uh, could not deal with and therefore caused or chose to run over someone that was very anomalous. And the more data we gave it, the more confident it was in running over the individual that was traveling through an intersection in uh, an unusual way. Um, so that is a problem for the AI. Um, AI also cannot deal with um, complexity or change, transfer from one context to another very well. It, yes, it is wonderful at uh, 
taking care of, or uh, of doing things like playing Go or those games, but those are constrained, predictable environments. What happens when it moves into a new unexpected field? Um, it, it's not that great at uh, interpreting weak signals. It can say this is anomalous, but that's where much of the collateral damage happens is when it's encountering something that is unusual. So the weaknesses that AI has at the moment are also the weaknesses that lead to uh, bias, exclusion, inequities. And if we address those uh, within the AI, then the AI will be a much more useful and powerful tool. I, I've created this one learning model that I've been playing with, and it's at a, a very early stage, but I call it my lawnmower of justice. I um, take the Gaussian curve and I chop off the top, meaning, um, so a Gaussian curve is like the bell curve, but in three dimensions. And uh, I take the data set and I take away the advantage of being like everybody else so that the AI model has to attend to everyone, the edges as well as the middle. And um, what I found is that it is better at addressing the unexpected changing contexts and those sorts of things. But I think um, this pause, this disruption, this pandemic has hopefully given us an opportunity to rethink how we do things in general, especially in education, and therefore how we want to design our artificial intelligence systems so they can be a tool. Uh, Yura, thanks very much for joining us. That's a lot to chew on and a lot to uh, think about as we move into the future, especially with our education system. Uh, where can our viewers find out more about you and your work? So I'm the director of the Inclusive Design Research Center, and uh, you can go to our website. Uh, it's idrc.ocadu.ca, um, or you can actually just search for my name. It's a unique identifier and put my name in the search engine with any topic and you'll find information that I've created about that particular topic. Great, thanks so much for joining us, appreciate it. Thank you. So lots of interesting stuff today about what's obviously you know, a complex subject. AI and the future of work is already a, a wildly controversial subject, yet it seems we're just going in that direction. Now you get our kids and education into the mix and it becomes, you, you'd think an even greater concern. I don't know about you, but Utah certainly, I wouldn't even say it was proceed with caution. She's more like, let's pump the brakes yeah. and, and, and figure a lot of this stuff out first. My question is, is if it's, if it's so uh, inherently biased like that, and AI is constantly learning, mm -hmm. why can't we teach the AI to figure out when it's being biased? But maybe that's her point, because I think she does uh, allude to the fact that it's only, it's only as good, like, we can, like it's some sort of separate abstraction. It's us, AI. It's the result of us programming, whatever. So in the end, it's the reflection of us, but to your point, then can we not wait until we've developed, you know, we've really sort of run more betas, we've tried to eliminate some of the blind spots that she's talking about, that the area, the checklist, if you will, of Utah's concerns, can we not take that into the lab, let's say, and start to sort of iron out the issues before 
you know, we have TeachBot 3000 yeah. in the class. <laughs> and I don't think she would disagree with that. It's more, I think it's one of those things that it's, you know, the horses are already out of the barn. Yeah, so we've already started down that road, but I, I mean, she doesn't seem very uh, confident in it, but I would think that, you know, the people who are being ignored, say minorities or whoever's mm -hmm. being ignored by the AI would easily just bring that up and hey, we can just write some code mm -hmm. and put that in because as we say, AI is us mm -hmm. at its heart. It's changing on the fly, right? I mean, yeah. this is the thing that we're not great at as a society because it's kind of turning a battleship around in a bathtub. We, you could argue we're getting better at it because we're more efficient. In the end, there's no question that if you ask most teachers, they'd say there's a whole bunch of stuff that just gets in the way of us teaching, ironically. To me, what we're hearing about, you know, grading and admin and logistics and scheduling, whoop, let's yeah. get rid of all that. That sounds great. Yeah. And then let's, you know, almost create an entirely different, you know, a facilitator of knowledge and almost, I don't want to say a child psychologist, but those elements are, are never going to be replaced by anything we create, right. I don't think. And the human interaction is so important, especially That's, in the early years of, of learning. It is the formative years, as they say, and there's an element, it's like, again, it's not a binary issue, it's not a dualistic issue like we talked about earlier. There's a way to be able to, I think, complement education and teaching through, uh, through using AI, but yes, do we anticipate or want to see one day no, teacher, no human teacher in the classroom? No. I don't think so, no. and I don't think and, anybody and does. And like, like we were saying, more teachers yeah. rather than less teachers. Which right? was not something I expected to no, hear, by the way, and I love so that because now it gets out of that idea of that we would have grown up with with one teacher with 30, you know, who, craziness of trying to even manage that, manage kids, let alone be able to actually teach one-on-one. -on -one. So maybe it does open us up to be able to have more teachers per student which I don't think anybody would disagree with. Yeah, maybe it's crowd control too, because there's no way AI would be able to, you know, wrangle a, a feisty uh, eight-year-old. Put, put the airplane down. <laughs> paper airplanes. I don't think kids are throwing those because they're not using paper. This is true. I'd like to thank uh, Yuta Trevoranis once again for joining us, and also thank to Professor Joanna Bryson for joining us in the first part of today's What If Discussed. If you want more What If, you should sign up for the What If Explorers Club newsletter for tons of cool science stuff and to find out what we're doing here behind the scenes at What If. To sign up, go to whatifshow.com. That's it for today's show, Richard. All good. Learned a lot. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the future is a wild, crazy place these days. There's never been more on the table, really. I uh, hope we get it right. And, and so, but this is the time that you have these discussions because really uh, humanity 2.0 is a wild frontier right now. And the, you know, the convergence of tech and interconnected world, viruses, governance. We talked kind of about all those things in one way or another today. And, you know, I guess personally, I just feel privileged that we get to have these conversations with thought leaders right? like these yeah. people. Cause I'm sitting back listening going, wow. Like I'm just straight up learning. Yeah. So, always learning but not artificial. Yes, not artificially. Okay, well, really. we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on What If Discussed.